And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. I'm David Moore. It's Wednesday. We got a new day and a new time. We're coming out on Wednesdays this season. This is, of course, Nerder. She wrote, joining me as they do each and every week. Mo DeKeel and Seth Part. Now, what season is this now for us guys? Is this season four? Season five? I thought we established this last episode. I don't remember. Five. Five. We talked okay. about this. Start of We season talked about five. consistency. Yeah. Continuity. So new new day, same show. That's right. Continuity. We are gonna do the same show where we dig into, you know, a little bit deeper. And this week is season preview week here, just like it is everywhere else. And we decided we'd do a little something fun. So we came up with questions to which the answers may determine the entire season. Thought this would be a good way to sort of take a 35,000 foot view of the upcoming season. And, you know, let's see what we, how we feel right now, um, you know, a week before we get any regular season games. So we got to jump right in because we got a lot to get to. And right off the bat, this one's kind of a funny one. Um, Guys, do you think the flopping rules are actually going to work? Or is this more of a PR thing? And by the time we get to Christmas, no one's being called for any technicals or any fines or anything like that. So there's two parts to that question. One, yes, it's a PR move. It's a PR move the same way that the rest rules are, are, are much more PR than a game facing. Um, I think you can see over the course of NBA history that there's oftentimes a case where, uh, for example, a couple of years ago, there was a, a uh, an emphasis on cracking down on traveling and palming and stuff like that. And if you looked at the, the both per game per possession numbers on, on those calls, they were way elevated for about the first two weeks of the season over the next two weeks. It sort of tapered off a little bit. And then by a month into the season, it was sort of, at long-term trend level. So I would expect to see a lot of them called at the start of the year. I would be surprised if we are still seeing them called two months into the season. I'm going to go the other way on this one. And I'm going to just say the, when they did originally do the fines, we eventually saw a decrease in flopping. When they would do the warnings, the fines and publicize it and all that stuff, we did see a decrease in flopping. What happened is we stopped doing that. It wasn't announced, but it just stopped, you know, and, and, and then the flopping continued to climb back up. So I'm actually more inclined to think this is going to work. I mean, they have to enforce it. I don't know if they'll enforce it a ton in game the way Seth was saying it. But as soon as you start taking guys money, yeah, they'll, the, the, the flopping will go down a little bit. There'll it, be it a little more like, of that. It seems like this is also some, uh, a little bit of the referees, right? Because... Shouldn't there be, I don't know about a punishment. I'm not like a punishment guy, but there needs to be something for the refs that are continuously fooled by the floppers. 
You know, if the refs didn't reward the behavior, the behavior would not exist. It's like, you know, my dog sits next to the table when I eat dinner. And if I feed him from the table, I'm reinforcing a bad behavior. And so shouldn't maybe we do something with the referees? Like maybe there's a metric out there uh, for how many times you get fooled on a flop. That raises some interesting questions in how much should the refs be refing a player or not? Um, you know, I think that I think we've all been frustrated. How do you keep getting fooled by the same guy over and over again? Should we should should the refs have a scouting report on the player, or should they call the game in front of them? Um, I, that on its face, you all, of course, they should know. But at the same time, then all of a sudden, you're you're refing reputation instead of what actually happens. And that opens its own, you know, its own can of worms. And for better or worse, the NBA has very much moved towards trying to have like objective uniformity and stuff like that. And saying, well, you know, James Harden, he's a head snapper. So that's not a foul kind of goes against that. Yeah. I, I like the idea. I just don't know how you pull it off. I just think, just let, like, my view, we talked about this a long time ago, but, like, my view of refs is their job is to just manage the game and the flow of the game to be game managers more than uh, refs in that sense. And I think that's kind of keeping the flow of the game and understanding the flow and how everything's rolling with it. I do think, though, the NBA needs to do a better job, and it'll suck for the refs, but they need to do a better job of, like, yeah, no, the ref screwed up there. Then it's not the two minute report or whatnot, but like they kind of do it, but it's all subtly, right? Like, yeah, just get on the bat phone from Secaucus and call it in. Hey, that that's a flop. You know, we need we we need the the commissioner's office calling in every single time that there's a flop in a game. But no, but no, like that's that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not even talking about in the moment in the game. I'm talking about the broader view of it, though, of just like. They need to kind of provide more transparency. And yo, when the refs mess up like a massive call, there needs to be, we need to know what happens to them behind the scenes. If I'm bad at my job, whatever, any job, you're bad at it, eventually you no longer get to do the job. But we have too many refs that continue to do the job for so long, even though they're they're bad at it. And I think that's something that the, the NBA might need to be more more on top of in terms of that. But also a lot of that also comes into developing the refs better. And I don't think that's something they do a great job. They try, but I don't think they do a real great job of it. Um, you guys ready for question two, or you got a little bit more on flopping? No, let's let's definitely let's talk more about refs before the season starts. <laughs> the whole right. the whole yeah. start us out everybody's hot, doing season previews. We're doing do, referee do you, previews. You want, my, you want my takes on the VAR in the Premier League? Because uh, I have those too. No, uh, actually, we don't. Um, all okay. replays should be banned. Next, next, I agree with that. Spirit of the game. Next question: Have we reached? Peak offense. Last season, NBA teams averaged a 114.8 offensive rating, highest ever by two and a half points. Seth, can the number just keep going up or what? I, I it, yes, it could. Um, I think it's a, you know, it, it's a function partially of how the game is officiated. Um, I think one of our bugaboos on this show for a number of years has been the leniency with which people have been allowed to uh, set, shall we say, wide, perhaps moving, perhaps sliding, perhaps 
uh, pulling guard screens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's part of it. Um, it's, you know, last year the league shot the ball pretty well. I think there's some variance there year to year. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's both strategically and uh, uh, from an officiating standpoint, is defense going to catch up? This goes back to what I say about defenses all the time. They've stopped being creative. They stopped trying to do things. Um, shout out to Mark Dagnall and in, in OKC, you know, with the late switches and whatnot. But it, defenses have become entirely too predictable. We know all the rotations. We know all the you know all the coverages you're going to be in. Coaches have stopped being trying to be creative, and it allows offenses to know exactly where they need to attack, where their shots are coming from, how to get to those shots. And I think that's a massive problem there. I think the creativity on the defensive end is not caught up to the offensive end, and I'm not sure if the coaches have the appetite to do that. And I and, and it's hard, but like, yo, figure it out. How much of this is coaches and how much of it is players? Okay, because, I mean, look, I know World Cup is fresh in our minds because it's the last basketball we just watched, but obviously that's more playoff-style basketball. But you had teams playing three, four different pick and roll coverages. And how often in an NBA game do you see anything, you know, maybe you're seeing two, right? You're seeing switch and maybe they're going to go over and play straight up, but you don't see a lot of mixing of coverages anymore. I don't know if that's a coaching thing or a player thing, like how much of it is players are so hyper offensive focused that the defense just falls by the wayside. I think it's both, but I think it's more, it's more coaching, not drilling it into the players. And I think this also goes as far back um, to the way we, we value these kids in AAU, in high school, in college, and whatnot. Like, we don't focus on defense. We really don't. Like, that's just the deal, you know. Um, I always scream about it, you know, one-way player and all of that stuff. And that's kind of the deal where we're at now. But I think coaches are not doing a good job of drilling this stuff down. Because the players will do it if you put it into drills and repeat it and shell drill it over and over again, do all the things there and walk through it over and over again, and they'll do it in the games. But I, whether they do it well, whole different story. That's a different debate, but we're not even giving them the chance to. I think there's also a degree of it's almost self-fulfilling and self-reinforcing in that in an environment where everyone is scoring, you know, 110, 115, 120 a game, you got to keep up. And so then, all right, we can play this, uh, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, the, it's maybe not fair to either player, but it's like, all right, we, I can either play George Yang or Tory Craig. Which one's it going to be? And I think with everyone having feeling like they have to keep up, I think the more offense-leaning player has been winning that debate, and that causes offense to increase for two reasons. One, you have a better offensive player on the floor. One, on defense, you have a worse defensive player on the floor. So it's sort of – it's almost to some degree a collection of everyone sort of making that selection towards the offensive player a little bit more because they feel they have to keep up. Well, and if you look at the teams that, that are winning, it's very much about can you score no matter what. Like can you, can you just get a bucket every single time you need it and is your defense good enough? And, and oftentimes it's about if a good enough defense meets an offense that's not elite, right? then they can win that matchup. But it's it's not been like this lockdown defense. 
No, I'm I'm fighting that there a little bit, Dave. I mean, listen, the Nuggets were solid defensively. They were solid. Oh no, no, but it was, good. The story like, was their offense. They could score because that's every all time. we talk about, Dave. That's yeah. all we talk about. That's my point, right? It's the phrase "offense gets the glory." That's all people talk about. That's all the casual fans understand because understanding defense is hard and having that idea of it. But the Nuggets very good defensively. The Miami Heat were good defensively. That's the two teams that got to the finals in that it, it, last year. We go back and uh, Golden State, a good defensive team with a freaking unbelievable uh, defensive player type of guy in, in Draymond Green. Like it's just, but all we focus on because it's easy is the offense. So it's not, it's, it's not just about, yeah, you have to be able to score regularly. That's no question about that. But you also got to get stops. That's how that's how the wins happen, and I think that's the thing there, and that's why the consecutive stop stuff matters, and all of that stuff. And the teams that are really good are the ones that can get consecutive stops. And there's we haven't seen a team that's all offense win a championship with no defense. I mean, uh, yeah, the Kings were were out of the playoffs. I mean, you have to be able to d- defend at a at a certain level, obviously, to to have success in the playoffs. Uh, but I just feel like, at least from what we see personnel-wise, I, I tend to agree with Seth that the offensive players tend to win out. And that's, to be to be clear, that's a regular season. Like, you see that dynamic change a little bit in the right. postseason. When we start to dial in a little bit more and, and dissect, this is how we're stopping their their pet actions, their, their best players. We're forcing this guy left. We're forcing him to put the ball on the floor. We're... Whatever else we're doing, we're showing him double teams or multiple different looks or whatever. The kinds of stuff that maybe just doesn't happen when you're playing three, four games a week. That's because the teams are lazy now. That's the <laughs> that's the push. They don't practice as much. You can't drill down and practice. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm I'm at the point now where I think we've gone way too far. Teams in general would not practicing. I'll be interested to see what the Clippers do this year because they're really kind of trying to do more in that sense, uh, in terms of practicing and whatnot. And the, the debate of rest over over practice has become a thing where I think this is an important thing to astonish there. And that's how you def- you put in your defensive principles. Because, yeah, it's easy. Go out there and get me 25, you know, and, and just go. But, like, on defense, it's hard. And I think that's part of the reason also why it's more a regular, thing, regular season thing than a playoff thing. Because in the playoffs, you have more of that. I, I honestly think some of this is just teams have gotten lazy. This is uh, this is something that's that's come up uh, as the league has sort of tried to has done a good job of removing back to backs from the schedule, but sort of a knock on effect of that is is almost it has reduced the desire to have like intense practice days because what you would have you know you play two back to back games you'd have two or three days off there's a, there's a time to fit you'd have a day off between after the back to back an intense practice day the next day and then keep it going. Whereas you've got game, light practice, game, light practice, game, and so on like that. You don't actually have the, that 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 slightly larger window to fit a real, like, you know, a day you're not getting on a plane kind of practice. And that's been an interesting sort of knock-on effect of what I think we all agree is a good thing in terms of reducing back-to-back, but it's sort of the unintended consequence that it's had. Yeah, but I also think this is something you can do in light practices. How many practices have you been into where it's been 
85% offense, 15% defense. Like this is stuff you can go at 25%. You can walk through how we're going to show on this play, how we want to help here, how we want to play drop in this. And you can walk through it just like you can an offensive play. But a lot of the teams I've been on, 85% offense, we talk about the defense and that's about it. Like that's a big one there. I think there's a tech, there's there's a coming technological solution here. Um, in that I think part of the reason you do that is that's that yes, you can do that. That's sort of inefficient uh in, in terms of yeah, you work on offense. You you're doing this on defense, it's a lot of most guys just kind of watching. Whereas if you're doing all right, we're gonna do some shooting drills, we're gonna do some form breaks, where you get everyone up and moving, getting reps. I think if we start to get in more of the use of some VR technology and stuff like that to get mental reps in sort of the defensive recognition and stuff like that, I think that technology is progressing, is coming. And I think that might be a way the teams that start to figure out how to implement that to sort of um, maybe not direct practice time, but more kind of one-on-one, one-on-two small groups with assistant coaches and video people to get with individual players and drill some of those defensive reps that way. Um, I think that's something that could possibly help equalize some of what you're talking about, Mo. Or they could just practice defense. Um, All right, I'm going to go to the next question. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys, very, right, nerder, this, very nerdery question, by the way, that last yeah, that number two was. Absolutely. Um, okay, this one's a little bit more fun, um, but also who knows. Um, guys, what happens if Victor Wimbenyama is... A top 15 player day one. This is, um, this guy is incredible. We're already seeing him do incredible things in the preseason. Uh, it's unlikely that he's a top 15 player, but maybe. Does anything change? When you say anything change, what are you asking? So, okay. None of us expect him to play more than 55, 60 games this season, right? But what if he's like just ready to win right now. Can the San Antonio Spurs put together a package and get the next disgruntled guy or the guy who's available and pair with them? Like, is there a scenario in which he is just too good and they have to start trying to win now? Because why not? I think their off season sort of answered that question already. I think they were very conservative this off season. And, um, in some ways, I think that's smart because I think the ten- the temptation would be there. Like they they suddenly they're 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 thirty games into the season and they're fourteen and sixteen, and he's like getting legit all star buzz. There's going to be that tendency to want to, but they're not ready to win a title this year, no matter how good he is. Right. Um. 
And I think title playoffs. They're not even ready to make the playoffs this year. I, hey, I what mean, if he's a top 15 guy and, and they're in that play in discussion? You know what I mean? Do they go for it? I mean, the, the whole thing is, I think the thing it was, uh, there was the play the, uh, in a preseason game the other day where he kind of catches an alley-oop from like nine feet away from the basket over Thomas Bryant. And the look on Bryant's face he gives to the bench as he runs down the court. I think that the whole league is going to feel like, what the hell just happened? I think there's going to be a lot of that this year. Um, and it's going to be exciting. But um, I think that them being slightly judicious this offseason and sort of almost taking that off the table by not being more aggressive this offseason, I think is probably better for them long term oh, than, the, than trying the, to be. We don't want better. We want fun. No, no. The First off, you mixed up your dunk, Seth, which isn't surprising because there were so <laughs> many freaking amazing plays in that game. I just want to be clear about this one. The alley-oop was off of a give-and-go where he initiated the offense hit the wing and then ran down the and then and then basically just cut down the lane and got the lob. Uh the one you're talking about where Bryant looked around going like what the fuck was when he got dunked on when by like basically the dude was at the dotted lines. Um and it just go go gadget arms action there. Uh this dude's amazing. We're going to have nights where we're just going to be in awe of like all the things he's doing. I just dropped a one mo thing just on his defensive range and what he can do defensively. It, it's it's amazing, but this team, even if he's a top 15 player, okay, they'll still be 12th in the West. Like this, the, one, the West is brutal. This team is not well-equipped. I mean, they're working on figuring out who works around him. Sure. Like this is a exploration season for them, you know? We can put a, uh, a explorer hat on Pop as they sail through the season and, and try to figure out what they're uh, going to need around Webinyama. But I think that's the 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 deal there. I think there's no circumstances where I think they feel like they're going to go for it in in any instance. I mean, I think this this sounds strange since we're talking about a guy who's seven five, but I think determining whether he's a four or a five is kind of a is kind of a, a pretty key thing. Like if he, given he's he's never going to be a, a, a huge bulky guy. If he has the the movement skills and the shooting skills to play the four, at least spend a decent amount of time there. I think that's probably best long term. But the question is, does he have kind of the mobility and the the the, the skill level to do that? I think that's kind of the biggest question they have to answer. And then the, then sort of like, all right, do we need our do we need our Stephen Adams type uh, uh, to to like? Obviously, I, I think mean, I think that that that's yeah. what they want. Right, like yeah. they want to pair him with someone, Steven Adams, Giannis, Jonas Valanciunas, someone they like that. I actually they, do think that that's what they want. They don't even the need that. They have Jeremy Sohan. That's who's well, going to do that's it. One even five, yeah. That's that's who's going to do the dirty work for them. That dude pairs perfectly with Wembenyama and doing all the dirty work and those things. He's a little bit small. I understand that, and and that's a big that's a bit of a concern. But you know what? He just has to hold up long enough for Wemby to come over from the weak side. And by the way, he doesn't have to come that he far. He doesn't have to go far. <laughs> he could just put his arm out by Listen, standing at the other block. Like My dream, all I want, guys, I want a Bowl Bowl reclamation project in San Antonio so we can have Bowl Bowl and Victor Wimanyama just stand arm to arm. It's the perfect defense. Tell me I'm wrong. They can touch hands across the lane. There's no fear of a three seconds violation. No, no counting 2.9. Doesn't matter. 
by the way, speaking of mobility, did you guys see that like mid-range fadeaway he hit in the game, Victor Wimbanyama? Yes. I, mean, I mean, this guy like never seen anything like this ever. He has shades is- of Kevin Durant in his game. Like that's the thing. And it's just the, the amount of times he's going to go to the free throw line where guys are trying to get at his shot and hit him on the arm is going to be crazy. And then when they adjust and it's going to turn into, well, we have to get it before the, the, before he gets the ball above his shoulders, the fouls they're going to get for just reaching. He's going to be going, he's going to live at the line at one point. Yeah. Um, okay. Guys, next question. Uh, do the Warriors chances for another title rely on Jonathan Kuminga taking a leap? Like, are we that at that point for the Warriors? No, no, we're not. Uh, it, it, it relies more on what can Chris Paul do off the bench for them. And it relies more on the health of guys like Draymond and Kevon Ludi. It would. Let me, don't get me wrong now. If Jonathan Kaminga takes a leap, massive help. Massive <laughs> right. help. But I don't think it's something that I would say they rely on. I mean, let me just be pretty clear. Steph Curry has never played with a passer like Chris Paul. Just never. It's just not. I mean, Draymond Green's a good passer. He's never played with the dude that's going to literally put the ball in his shooting pocket 99 out of 100 times. And I think that says a lot. And I think that's an important aspect there with what you're looking at in terms of them, you know, offensively. Yes, a lot of questions for them defensively when the two of them are on the court together. But I think there's a lot that they can do there with that. Kaminga would be helpful, but I don't look at it as like if he doesn't take a leap. I do worry about the Warriors being under-athletic without, if, if they can't, if they're not in a situation where they feel like they can rely on Kaminga and or Moses Moody in playoff situations. I think that um, we, we've seen uh, we've seen in recent years teams that, that are otherwise pretty good be under-athletic in sort of that mid-sized area and that being exploitable in the playoffs. And I think that's that's frankly my biggest worry about the Bucks coming into the season. We'll, we'll well, I'm, I think we'll talk about them next, but it does worry about them a little bit. The other part is, um, I'm. It's interesting because while Chris Paul has never really played in, at least not you know the last decade or so, has not really played in offenses with lots of movement. He has played effectively with movement shooters. Um, now I, I I think it's very kind to JJ Redick to make the comparison between Redick right. and Steph Curry, but. I mean, I think that was like that on on those Clipper teams, Mo. Like the movement on the offense was JJ Redick, and everybody else was kind of static. So, how does Chris Paul get integrated into the Warriors' offense, which has been very movement based? Um, I'll be interested to see that. I think he can. Obviously, he can figure it out, and it probably is easier for him at his age doing it for twenty five minutes a game rather than thirty five. Um, but we'll see. But I do think that they need that that sort of athleticism and wing size and speed, especially as I think clay is almost more of a four now. And I think he's well past time where he's like a defensive stopper wing and them not having that. I think, you know, when you look at who they have to go through in the West or potentially in the finals, um, that would be a, uh, that would be a, a, a huge miss if they did not have that. Yeah, but, that's where Andrew, guys- but, but that's where Andrew Wiggins comes in. That's the guy. That's who replace. That's who's replacing Clay on that defensive stopper sort of position. And yes, you're right about Chris Paul being more of a static player, and then and then everybody running around him. 
still going to work. Curry's still going to run around him. And God help you on the relocation. When, when Curry does give up the ball, Chris is going to find a way to get. Now they have another guy that's going to get him the ball even better. Like, come, like that's like, good luck. Also underrated, uh, um, active, not to say dirty screen setter. <laughs> Perfect warrior player. Okay. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, wait. All right. Let me ask you guys about Chris Paul. Um, would you guys say that Chris Paul is, is a, a hesitant shooter at this point, or at least a reticent shooter? Like he doesn't not really a, a volume guy anymore. We, we talked a lot about, uh, the last two years in Phoenix where he was even passing up some open looks. He just, he had the shoulder issue. Um, is that a concern for them at all to have essentially lineups where you're going to have three non-shooters in, in Looney, Draymond and Chris Paul? I he's not a non-shooter. That that's him, might yeah, be a that's, bit strong. That's, on Chris that, no, that's he's open. Extreme, he's going to take it. That's an extreme. There, he knows he's got to take some of those shots, but he also understands, like, hey, we, I'm playing with some of the best shooters on the planet, mainly Steph, and and we'll see what mm-hmm. play looks like this year. Uh, I I probably am better served getting them a shot. <laughs> them yeah. contested might be a little bit better, you know, uh, or semi-contested versus some of the looks I will get. In that regard, there will be some hesitation with him, and you, it's not always it's not always good. There are times where it's like, "Yo, you got to shoot that shot." That's kind of the the end all be all with that. But I'm not worried about that with him mm-hmm. in that regard because I also think part of the problems for the Warriors last year was Jordan Poole taking shots he shouldn't have. Well, that's true. You'd rather you have somebody, I, yeah, keep the keep it in the holster, right? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, next question. Guys, we think that both Milwaukee and Boston uh, are the two best teams in in the East in some order. We don't know yet. But injury aside, what has to happen for a team other than Milwaukee or Boston to make it out of the East? What is the key to the rest of the East beating Milwaukee and Boston? I think it's Evan Mobley taking a massive leap forward offensively. I think it's the Cavs figuring out their offense and that Mobley should probably be more of their second option. That and and Donovan Mitchell should be a insurance in case glass uh we need you to bail us out type of guy. Um I don't know how Mitchell would feel about that. Uh I think that's an important I think one you there. do know. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but I think that's something I'm looking at as somebody that can kind of maybe crash that party. I'm sorry, Knicks fans. I don't I just don't see how you guys crash the party all that much. Um, I think you'll be a little bit better than last year, but not much. I, I'm afraid to figure out what Miami is 
Like, I don't know, you know, like it's, I don't think they'll be as bad as they were last year. I know they lost some guys, but I don't think they'll be as, you know, like they're somewhere in the middle of what they were last year. And I think that's a weird one. After that, like, I don't see anybody else in the East really contending. And that's not to say those two teams don't have massive weaknesses. I, I know Philly's got a, a ton of questions, obviously, because they, they still, as of today, still have James Harden, who's not, you know, really doing anything with he them. He didn't even show up today at practice. Didn't show up. Um, so it's hard to to even think about Philly, but let's think about Philly a little bit. I mean, they, they've got Embiid, who, you know, is maybe the third best player in the East, uh, or first, depending on how you rank him. He was the MVP last year. Um, they still got Maxi. We, we think they'll probably still have Tobias Harris. I mean, They've got an okay team, and you could see if they could get a couple of decent role players for James Harden, that's not a bad team. You you give them any shot whatsoever? Dumb. <laughs> I I I'm sorry. Like I've we've been down this road with them before, and it's and now it's in this they're in this weird toxic situation. I don't think you're gonna get a ton of value for James Harden if you do trade him. I think if you get him, he's super disgruntled. I think even then just looking at this team, I don't have a lot of faith in them, even if everything was hunky-dory. Like, I'm just, we've we've seen the playoff failures over and over again at this point, and it's just, I'm sorry, I, I cannot, I just, they're in the they're in the prove-it-to-me category, plain and simple. Seth, Seth, do you see the Cavs as the, the best, the next best shot to win the East? I think we're, I think for understandable reasons, I think, Philly is the third best team in 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 the East, and we're we're short on them for for understandable reasons. But I think if in terms of the where what they look like if everything goes right, it's on the level of those first two teams. It just we we kind of have our our, our understandable and justified doubts about things things going right. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, do we, do we want to get do we want to get wild and hold on, say, hold hey, on, what? Hold- Hold on, hold on. Before you get wild and freaky. Yeah. How many things has to go right for Philly versus how many things has to go right for Boston and Milwaukee? Like their mm-hmm. list is so much longer. Definitely. And that's why and and that's why I just even even longer than and a new coach, in my opinion. Right? Like a you new know? coach. It, there's a don't, lot of don't uphill battles. I mean, I'll say so, it's although so Adrian Griffin is a new coach that, in Milwaukee too. Yeah, I'll I'll say it so Mo doesn't have to. I think that's that is a a reason to have more rather than less faith in the in the Sixers getting things right this year in in this case. Uh, so. I don't know. I think I'm more with Mo um, on the coaching situation there. Uh, is, is there? I mean, no, Mo agrees get, with me. No, I, I agree with Seth. Oh, you agree. I agree with uh, Seth. Uh, uh, he was saving me from saying. Oh, it, it is yeah. better. Yes, it yes, is a better yes. situation. I don't know if it's ideal. Um, let's get a little wild then, Seth. It's not gonna. Oh, I mean, listen. I mean, you know, if we're getting like. I don't We're know. saying like Orlando makes a trade for James Harden. Mikael Bridges don't do that. Is the, is the, Mikael Bridges is the guy he showed he was in 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 Brooklyn in the back half of last year, and Ben Simmons shows up, but he's had moments in the preseason. He shows up and is sort of like the 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 Draymond Green light version of himself, and Nick Claxton plays at a deep plinth player of the year level, and Cam Thomas let's get weird. is let's get twenty five point a game scorer. Yeah, yeah I like it. I like yeah, where you, your would, head okay, is. you would do you bring Cam Thomas <laughs> you went too far. But I have I have yeah. a question for you, Dave. Uh oh. Why do you and everybody else constantly want to wish evil on Orlando? 
by always trading them some <laughs> terrible point guard right, that's hold not going to work for Bonchero, that's not going to work for Franz Wagner. No, 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 no. But, like, why? Everybody I wanted him to have to Drew wish- Holiday. Yeah, Drew Holiday the- in Orlando would have just been fantastic, Great. right? Great. But, but James you just Harden. Drew Harden at them. I, well, here's the deal. James Harden was actually really good last season. Uh, it gets lost because he had a, a few bad playoff games. But he was excellent in the regular season last year. He did exactly what they needed him to do. I mean, he was, you know, a borderline all-NBA player last year. And I, I just think when you, if you could add a guy like that to a young team like Orlando that shows promise, you can go a long way. You can win a bunch of games. That's no, no, right. No, no, no. You don't even believe that yourself. How are the strip you, clubs you, in Orlando? Do you, we know? You couldn't even you couldn't even say that yourself without doing the high pitched <laughs> part, which is your tell when you don't believe. Dave, that's all I'm saying. It's like, we know, but like, here's the thing, man. Like, yes, James Harden had a good season last year. Tapered off a little bit after the All-Star break, if we're sure. going to be honest with all these things. I would say besides one or two good games in the playoffs, I wouldn't say he had a, a few bad games. I said he had, <laughs> very, he had a very James Harden typical playoff in that regard of when he was needed most, he was nowhere to be found. I think the things for me with, with Harden is that's not the team for him. Harden wants to play one way and one way only. And that's part of the reason why it's the trade demand. It's not just the money. He wants to play Harden ball. And I think that's the problem. And that's what I'm afraid of. If he goes to Orlando or some young team, he gets to play Harden ball and we don't get the development that we need from these young kids in Orlando. I I mean, I'm with you. Listen, it's more fun if these guys have a chance to develop, but also I'm ready for them to, Make the top six. I, I want to see them in the playoffs because we need some youth in the in the playoffs. Okay, uh, let's let's get to the last question because I think this one is sort of I'm not going to say it's going to determine the season, but but it's what I've been thinking about quite a bit this summer, uh, and especially when you think about the Nuggets. Like we know that Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world, should be the three time reigning MVP. We saw what Jamal Murray did in the playoffs after he was fully recovered from that ACL. We know who he is. Is Michael Porter Jr. the key to the Nuggets going back-to-back, guys? I I really think he is. And by key, like, obviously, Jokic matters a whole time. I mean, is, 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 if they don't have Jokic, it doesn't matter. They lose Murray, it doesn't matter. Uh, like the question doesn't matter. They're, 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 the road to the finals is incredibly, is damn near impossible at that point. But in the terms of repeating, he is so critical because I think one, if he has a larger role in the offense that takes pressure off of Murray and in Jokic throughout the season and kind of allows them to rest a little bit. The other thing too, when we, we were kind of talking about this before, Dave, and, and you know, it might be can he accept being Manu Ginobili? Like, honestly, like when you look at the Nuggets, their weakness is their bench. They don't have a lot of depth. They lost Bruce Brown, so now there's a hole at that position. Is Christian Brown going to uh, take that spot? You do that, you know, you move him, you move Porter to the bench, you at least have more offensive firepower coming off the bench and have that ability to have more staggering sort of uh, uh, attack offensively. And the question is, is he going to get a lot of touches when he's in the starting unit, you know, like there's a, there's, it's an important thing of how they handle him, how he handles it and how the, everything works around him. I think it's a huge question 
and an important one that needs to be answered by Denver. So this is an interesting situation in that he's not up for a new contract soon. He showed a lot of growth in the everything else area of his game last year. I mean, there were, there were a number of games in the playoffs last year where he didn't shoot the ball well, where he thought we thought he played pretty well. And that's just, that was sort of inconceivable to say that about Michael Porter Jr. for, for most of his career. And they won the title. So the question is, um, you know, how is there potential for sort of uh, dodging the disease of more uh, in, in that case? Which, hey, this is pretty good. Like I can I can fit in wherever and there's going to be nights where we call on me and there's going to be nights where we don't. And this is great because we're we're right there again. Um, I kind of think that the key for them, though, is still Aaron Gordon. Um, I think he was under I think his sort of defensive Swiss Army-ness was undersold last year and it worked in part because Porter was credible on that end but he was credible in sort of picking up the leftovers of whatever all right well okay Aaron you got that guy and it was anyone one through five and uh you know him continuing to do that him staying healthy uh him continuing to be that force him continuing to um you know do that defensively and then uh, compete in transition the other end um, that was a big part of their offense. I thought last year was sort of his early rim runs. Um, so I do think that that if we're talking like you know the unheralded. Maybe I'm just saying sort by third best player after after Jokic and Murray. But I think that's still I think that's still Gordon, um, even though he he does it in a way that's never going to sort of get him the praise as as someone with with uh, Porter's offensive explosiveness has. But I think the the thing about Aaron Gordon is this is all the stuff we know he can do. And that's like, this is what I expect from Aaron Gordon, right? Like that's, that's why the, the, the difference for me that like, that's not a question of what you just described everything Aaron Gordon brought to the table, but that's not the question I'm asking. The question I'm asking is, you know, like it's, if Porter brings, if Porter becomes the third best player and supplants Gordon in that, in that area, then it's it over. becomes, it's, 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 over. It's, it's a whole different game. Yeah. Though, right. And like, that's actually what needs to happen. For them to have, they're having a dynastic view of things. That's if, what needs to happen. If his floor game all next season is kind of what it was through the back half of the playoffs next year, or, or was in 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 the back, sort of the the last two and a half series, I'd say last year. If his general floor game is at that level all season, good luck. It, it, that's my point. They, do they they have the best starting five in the league? As far as there's no holes, there's no question marks. Like you kind of know this is the floor, at least highest floor, I would say. Um, their ceiling is also championship level. So I'd I'd say I'd say they're probably them and Boston are probably right there in terms of the best starting five. I think Boston has a lot of no holes in their sort of their position. I have questions about other Age. things for Boston. Yeah. No, not even that. But like we we that's a another podcast for another time. <laughs> yeah. Um but like perhaps I, even next week, maybe possibly. Um but I think that is the those are probably the two best starting fives and it's probably like you know like right next to each other. Um with all of that. So, but they're right there. Yeah, I mean they're the top team in the West. Like there's to me it's no question. Well, um guys, we got through all the questions uh to to kind of set the stage for the season. Uh, anything on your mind as we wrap up our last show 
of the summer. Seth is sneezing. Summer in October. Okay. Seth Seth's uh, playing sick, by the way. Flu game for Seth. So um, a- any any final thoughts uh to close go, the books on the offseason? Go check out the latest one mo thing on Victor Webanyama's defensive range and how uh that length is uh just gonna be a problem for, for it's offensive long. players. Spoiler alert. It's very long. I'm excited for the the just I'm in general excited for the rivalry to be back on the court. Um I'm 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 tired of sources and ready for basketball. Kind of the same cycle we go through every summer. Um, you know, James Harden hangs out in Houston instead of practicing with his team. We get sourced to death and we all just want to watch basketball. So uh, for Seth and Mo, I'm Dave. We'll talk to you guys next week where we actually have games to talk about right here on the Athletic NBA Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.